This podcast examines issues on violence driven by gender inequality, a global health problem that is likely to have personally touched the lives of our listeners. Take care while listening and email svri at svri.org for resources. Welcome to another episode of the Sexual Violence Research Podcast from the SVRI. I'm Aisha Margo. And I am Elizabeth Dartnell. Our vision is to see a world free of violence against women and violence against children. And in this podcast, we learn how to make that vision a reality. In today's episode, we're discussing collective care, a concept and practice that emphasizes the well-being and support of communities or groups, rather than focusing solely on individual self-care. Collective care recognizes that individual well-being is interconnected with the well-being of others and that addressing societal challenges requires collective action and support. Today's guests are Natsnet Jebra Brown, Violence Against Women Prevention Coordinator at Raising Voices, and Jean Kemitare, Programs Director at Urgent Action Fund Africa. I started by asking Natsnet how she and Raising Voices define and adopt collective care. She told me it starts with infusing kindness into the organization's culture. The essence of collective care is about intentions and actions towards caring for each other. In a way, it facilitates and nurtures healing, um, healing our past and opening doors for all of us to flourish and thrive in, in life, in what we do. And um, it's about infusing kindness and love in the organizational culture and the way uh, we do our work. It's also about striving to establish an equitable power relations and also thinking about our privileges a lot and then how we can tap it into a nurturing and healing power. Collective care is also thinking about a safer space um, uh, at organizational level, at program level, on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, yeah, just thinking about what does it look to do uh, a process or an activity or an event with care in mind. Those are some of the things we we use to explain what uh, collective care means to us at Raising Voices. Central to this topic is the concept of interconnectedness, how one person's suffering affects everyone. As Natsnet explains, interconnectedness fuels our collective journey of care, healing, and flourishing as humans. Humans are social beings. There is a thread that connects all of us. And when we come into a space, um, a space could be a physical space, a space could be an emotional space. It could mean different things, but when we come to a space, we exchange energies. It could be positive energy or it could be negative energy. So the more we cultivate consciousness as human beings, we grow to feel the pain and the suffering other people who are around us, in our surrounding, in our community, within our organization, are feeling. So this interconnectedness is very important to really, really think about working collectively, working together towards care. Because if someone is striving to heal, unless the other person heals, it won't really work. So we are interconnected as human beings, 
by our design, the way we are uh, wired uh, in our makeup. And that really makes us to, to just remain committed for kind of a shared goal, a shared commitment in our journey of healing, our journey of flourishing. So what societal issues do we face when trying to cultivate cultures of care? Natsnet tells us that certain groups of people bear the weight of caregiving responsibilities, often neglecting their own needs and deservingness of care. There are groups and people on certain sections of our population who are expected to be more of on the giving than receiving and more on the caring than being cared for. Especially when we look at women, they really have the burden of care, care for uh, their family, care for their community, care for so many people around them on their shoulders. And they put themselves last in the list of caring. So when we are, we are all women. (laughs) So being women, we find it very challenging to think about self-care. We find it very hard. We don't really see we deserve to be cared for. We deserve all the beautiful things in life. So unless we really shift that mindset, as like in women and then broadly in the society, we won't be able to achieve that collective care thing because collective is about ensuring fair distribution of care for everyone in the community, for everyone in the organization, for everyone in our society to have access to care, support of care. And what role do leaders play in fostering this positive environment? Natsnet believes the responsibility lies with all of us. We believe everyone is a leader. We lead in our ways and we lead from where we are. It doesn't have to be attached to a certain position or certain title. So there is a role we can do, no matter what a title we are holding, to nurture collective care. But um, certain uh, roles and certain uh, people have more responsibility to making organizational wide decisions. So they have to really maintain the value of love and care and kindness when they are making those decisions. If it is about setting up a system, if it is about setting up a structure, if it is about setting up a procedure, maybe they can do it using the lens of care, love and kindness. In recent times, Urgent Action Fund Africa have focused more deeply on the need for care, healing, well-being and wellness. We asked Urgent Action Fund's program director, Jean, what inspired this shift in focus? I'll start with our core mandate, which is to sustain women human rights defenders, collectives and movements across Africa to advance women's human rights, women in all their diversities and locations and bodies in which they they sit. But from 2015 trends analysis, we started noticing an increased ask for support in terms of well-being, collective care, um, reports of burnout, exhaustion, trauma, uh, manifesting both in the spaces in which 
where feminists organize and defenders organize, but also in general, attacks on individuals and on collectives. And with that, we took on research and engaged in exploration. And, you know, we discovered the root of it was within the increased closure of civic space across many African countries. And that, again, was also rooted in increased militarization, increased authoritarianism, increased fundamentalism and economic strifes all coming together to then that authoritarianism leading to closure of civic space and that leading to increased attacks, threats on defenders and uh, compromise on their well-being, compromise on their security and, you know, threatening the vibrancy and strength of the movement, as well as threatening activism, the sustaining of activism. African women human rights defenders are at the forefront of challenging structural inequalities and confronting state and societal actors. Jean tells us that every day they face gendered attacks, leading to physical, mental and economic consequences that deeply impact their lives. African women human rights defenders, like most other women human rights defenders, are actually at the nexus of structural violence, state-sanctioned violence, and interpersonal violence or gender-based violence. The attacks on women human rights defenders are gendered. Um, Let's start with attacks both from the state but also from the communities in, in which they live. Um, This is because of a result of their work on promoting and protecting human rights, which includes challenging structural inequalities and confronting state actors and other societal actors with power. Because of this, they face even more specialized violence, including sexual violence and other forms of violence. As a result of their activism and their being attacked, they also then face violence in their homes and their communities because of exposing or what is perceived as exposing the family to state attention. And that has an impact on their health, on their mental health, first of all, on their physical health, of course, in terms of the attacks, but also psychosomatic challenges that manifest uh, on their physical health. It has a profound impact on their mental health in terms of trauma, vicarious trauma, and other levels of, of traumatic experiences that they embody. It has an impact on their their economic health because most times then they will be challenged in terms of uh, livelihoods and sustainable livelihoods. It has an all-around impact um, on their lives. With the importance of self and collective care only more recently recognised, we asked Jean if there is any reluctance from African women human rights defenders and feminist activists to prioritise their own health and well-being, or whether they were embracing the idea. It is something that they're embracing, but um, I think we need to then go back to the manifestations of structural violence and the erasure of indigenous ways of knowing and indigenous ways of healing that then have an impact on the embracing. Yes, they're embracing, but we need to be cognizant of the impact of, for example, organized religion that came with the colonialism and the erasure and demonization of indigenous ways of healing, which actually integrated bodies, mind, soul, and connection to land. 
And what we then had were health systems that are individualized and um, our criminal justice system that criminalizes instead of transforms, uh, works for transformative justice. So in terms of the health system, a system which looks at healing of trauma as an individualized experience, and yet uh, trauma is actually a collective experience. And then a criminal justice system that has shaped the lives of Africans and, and other people that is carceral versus uh, transformative. And then, you know, spiritual system that has led to the erasure of indigenous culture, knowledge, uh, the erasure of food systems, dispensation from land, ownership and distribution, worse felt in some parts of Africa than others. And so with well knowing that those, that paradigm, the roots of the challenge, we come now to the present, the education system. I can speak about so many systems that are, you know, have colonial values, colonial ways of being, colonial ways of knowledge, including even the media. So then you come fast forward to the future and then that, that uptake of collective care and well-being, as well as patriarchal socialization of diminishing women's well-being, the importance of women's well-being and women being put at the back burner while they serve the whole community. And by the way, this applies to even women's organizations, not just women as individuals, but women as a whole and women as collectives. Raising Voices has led the field in highlighting the importance of collective care. We asked NatsNet what prompted the organization to begin this essential work. Change starts from us. We start with us. With that philosophy, it was very clear that we need to really think about who we are. What are the needs of us as activists? And what can we set up to support and address that need? And at the start, they were using the language of well-being. <laughs> so, but it was the same idea. It was really uh, the same essence. Okay, how do we uh, cultivate and nurture our well-being as we do this important work? But in 2014, uh, as part of our work, we conducted a global consultation with activists. Activists who had been in the field, in the movement for long, doing this. And we heard them saying that their biggest concern is burnout. And their biggest hope is for accessing self and collective care. And since then, we put extra energy, extra attention, and a lot of commitment to nurturing self and collective care. Curious about how collective care comes to life within Raising Voices after years of development and trialling, we asked Nasnet how it is integrated into their programming and how the team experiences it in practice. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect, with love, kindness and dignity, and no matter where we are in the community. It could be in an organization, it could be anywhere. Members of the community can think about self-care and then can really be helped to embrace it. And then activists who are in the forefront of the work can also think and embrace that 
idea because as much as collective there is also a part that we can do as individuals and then how can we support that how like what are some of the simple things that we can do to support them to care for themselves to care for each other and um, in the GBV prevention network, uh, one of the pieces of the initiatives is the re rethink and re-energize a space where activist feminists could come in a space that they discuss critical feminist concepts, as well as discuss the importance and value of self and collective care, and also practice some of the well-being activity. It could be yoga, it could be uh, Zumba, depending on what uh, appeals to that group. So it means different things in different spaces, but we are experimenting what it looks like in programming level. I think in at organizational level, many can mention examples on how they inter integrate it in their policy, in their structures, in their procedures. So we are trying to experiment what does it look like to integrate it into the programming. And for example, when we are hosting work around like care, around emotional and mental support during uh, conducting research, and especially when you're collecting uh, data, what we have been doing is having like a, a, a counselor on a standby because having the conversations uh, on violence related topics could trigger some of the traumas and some of the negative experiences for community members. So when they do, there should be some referral system in place. So it's not just like triggering and leaving them hanging there, but ensuring that they are referred to get support. And that is for community members. And for those who conduct the interviews or facilitate the focus group discussions, they listen to a lot of stories and they are very open and vulnerable to secondary trauma. So at the same time, they need to access emotional support and mental support. With such powerful and varied implementations of collected care being employed at Raising Voices, Natsnet told us the impact of their approach was being felt across their organization, fostering a sense of connection, belongingness, and improved performance. It's quite easy to see uh, the impact. In many spaces and events, us, including me, have really shared our testimonies on how Raising Voices has been a healing space, a space where we felt we grow as human beings, as professionals, and uh, we also feel we have transformed as human beings. So many of our former colleagues who've been at Raising Voices at certain period, when they move on and assume new roles in new spaces, they don't disappear. There is always a way to connect with us. They see that as home. And they are also like champions of raising voices wherever they are. So that sense of connection, sense of belongingness is one of the, the impact of focus on self and collective care. So these are some of the things that uh, we see as on like individuals. I hate to say, to say this because it could be misunderstood, but 
self and collective care also helps us to really deliver better. But it could be like, I, I don't want to be understood that Raising Voices is supporting self and collective care so people can produce more. I think the, the philosophy and the, the value is like we deserve to be cared for. But when you do it, people really grow and challenge themselves to assume higher responsibility, to carry more responsibility and so on, and to do it with quality and with passion. So that is also something that we see as, as impact. Urgent Action Fund Africa, a pan-African feminist fund, works across all African countries to support women's human rights defenders and advance women's rights. As Jean tells us, within this framework, UAF Africa's initiative Feminist Republic plays a pivotal role in integrating care and kindness practices, fostering a culture of collective care and support to empower women human rights defenders in their pursuit of lasting change. So Urgent Action Fund Africa is a pan-African feminist fund. Uh, working across all African countries to support women human rights defenders, collectives and movements to advance women's, women's human rights. As part of our core mandate as a fund is providing rapid response grants to the same collectives, individuals to advance women's rights in many different forms. Our mandate rests on uh, supporting women human rights defenders to sustain themselves sustain their activism, grow and build strong movements. Our flagship program or our flagship form of support is through the rapid response grant making, where we provide catalytic grants for defenders and collectives and movements across the continent to take advantage of urgent and strategic opportunities that arise to advance women's rights uh, in many different ways. So embracing our center in collective care and healing as a radical movement building strategy is actually the Feminist Republic's work. So the Feminist Republic is a platform under the auspices of Agent Action Fund Africa that is created to support defenders in different ways, co-sharing leadership and co-creating projects to advance uh, ways of centering collective care. The Feminist Republic's work is centered on four core pillars, one of which is collective care, holistic security, and protection of women human rights defenders. Another is centering healing justice as a framework for advancing uh, healing, as well as enhancing feminist spaces and, in, and sustaining activism. Then another is uh, feminist documentation, documenting feminist and African women human rights defenders' experiences across the continent in diverse ways, core of which is a registry. We are housing a risks registry that is documenting. It has started off as a pilot in five countries. It documents the lived experiences, the attacks that women human rights defenders are experiencing and facing and who the perpetrators are the kind of support they are receiving and what they would prefer. And this will be used for action and advocacy at a later stage. And finally is the physical infrastructure for healing. So we are building a healing farm in Kenya that is a space that is co-owned with African women human rights defenders for African women to experience healing and collective care, not as a one-off in a workshop, 
but for long term, you can go there for rest and respite. You can go there to learn about different healing and collective care practices. You can go there to strategize, engage in intellectual memory, intellectual work, a lot of cultural memory work. And that, that is a physical space that will be the healing farm. Jean told me that Feminist Republic has greatly influenced UAF Africa's programming. To start with the whole launching of and creation of the Feminist Republic was as a result of what we were learning from our grant making. So that work within the grant making, the trends that emerge, influence the support that is given in the Feminist Republic platform. Similarly, uh, information, analysis, thoughts, and sharing by people who engage with the Feminist Republic influence the rest of the work of the fund too. Um, Namely, the way we provide our grants, it has accompaniment support and linking. And this came from the thinking of what collective care actually looks like, including what care, so standing in solidarity and support with movements looks like, besides providing only financial resources. It also includes our reflections on what philanthropy looks like, the work from the Feminist Republic, but also the work from the grant making on the principles that underpin philanthropy and the decolonial principles that should underpin uh, philanthropy. It also influences the, affected the core themes in that now we've added a new grant category on collective care and healing. So you are able to actually apply for that, uh, for a catalytic grant to advance collective care and healing. I think that's, that's one remarkable influence of the Feminist Republic's work on the programming of the fund. Adequate funding is essential to resourcing and sustaining meaningful self-care and collective care in organizations. Natsnet is confident that funders can be made to understand its importance. I think the more we talk about the value and importance of self and collective care in different spaces, the more we share our experiences, our desire, our like aspirations in different space, it brings us like on the same page, whether we are practitioners or researchers, funders, policymakers, we will develop a same understanding around the importance of collective care. So if we are operating from the same understanding, Hopefully, funders will start to do their investment, their financing and funding decisions in a way it creates room and in a way it supports organizations, feminists and activists to have access and support to care for themselves. So I think we should really continue to have conversations about the importance of self-care. It's not just rhetoric. Jean believes that the challenges required to shift care and kindness from being perceived as additional to being recognised as central are profound. It involves an ideological shift on what we think collective healing actually is and the results that it generates. I already spoke to the demonization of Indigenous ways of healing and something as simple as maybe breathing can be seen misconstrued Something as simple as communing with nature can be misconstrued into religious, you know, spirituality in a different way. So it involves ideological shifts 
for ourselves on what we believe is healing and why beyond the health, traditional health systems that we've inherited. It involves an unpacking of the criminal justice system that we have and its impact on even the way we engage in feminism that some people have labeled as, in feminist activism, that some have labeled as carceral ways of, of engaging with, with each other. Uh, it also involves transforming an analysis of structures that have harmed us and understanding that analysis of structures that have harmed us in different ways and left us traumatized. And as I mentioned, we are traumatized dealing with legal systems, medical systems that deem our bodies as abnormal or sinful, and some bodies as more abnormal or sinful. We carry the fear of not being able to afford medical treatment or getting a paycheck or being able to afford rent or food. And so it becomes hard to deal with the structural and root causes of this collective trauma and how it's continuing to re-perpetuate. So I think it includes a power analysis, analysis of structures of harm, and a realization that responses that rely on prescribing psychological support session or relocation would alone not accomplish much. And once we have that realization, then it becomes easy for us to support or to engage with groups to uncover and utilize traditional pathways to engaging with trauma and harm, um, not essentializing African cultures, but as a political act of resisting colonial, which is now mainstream ways of understanding health, to be a process that engages us from the neck up rather than our bodies, emotions, environment. It also supports um, ideological shifts in what we think is leisure, in how we value women, non-binary communities, and their need for holistic well-being above anything else. Because the, the challenges in uptake and in funding this work rest really in some of those patriarchal norms, neoliberal patriarchal norms, which see production as essential, value profit over body, and devalue women and non-conforming communities, uh, gender non-conforming or non-binary communities, well-being. And so it involves a really engaging with the root and understanding the structural challenges, but also transforming ideology on what we think is production, a productive body, productive space, and women and non-binaries. Despite the considerable obstacles that must be overcome, both Jean and Natsnet are optimistic that self and collective care will be taken more seriously and become better funded over the coming years. I'm optimistic because we are not the only voices out there. There are several people doing similar work and there are several discussions that are now being engaged with within the philanthropic sphere in terms of prioritizing this funding. We certainly are engaged in a whole range of philanthropic advocacy around this, and we are going about it by providing what is globally looked at as you know, peer-reviewed or credible evidence, but also speaking to people who are doing the work themselves with politicized uh, materials and politicized work. We are linking up with academic institutions to advance these frameworks, uh, just as we are linking up with community-based organizations, defenders at different levels. 
We are not the only ones. There's work being done by many others. Some are funds, some are practitioners, some are researchers. And so I am optimistic. It takes time, but it is possible. So I'm very optimistic. Just like the issue of violence, gender-based gendered violence was not on the global agenda 20 years ago, but there has been quite a big shift. More can be done. So that's the same optimism I'm carrying in terms of centering collective care and healing in the work that we do. I'm optimist, <laughs> but I don't think it's already being done. Uh, it still needs attention. I'm optimist because I recognize the funders who are already doing it. There are a number of funders, including our own funders, who are really um, providing long-term, flexible, and supportive way of, like, core funding. So organizations have the flexibility, the autonomy to respond to the emerging needs at the community and at the organization. So there is already action happening, but I don't think it's enough. We have to really engage those funders who are not doing it in that manner, have to really start doing it. And um, I am hopeful because there is a growing attention and conversation around the importance of care, the importance of healing justice, expanding in different conversations. Thanks to our guests, Jean Kemitari and Natsnet Jebrebran for joining us on the podcast. I am Elizabeth Dartnell. And I'm Aisha Mungo. You've been listening to the Sexual Violence Research Podcast by the SVRI. To find out more about our vision, visit www.svri.org. To free the world of violence against women and violence against children, we must connect, we must learn and share. So please subscribe, like and review us on Apple Podcasts and please share this episode far and wide. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.